This podcast is brought to you by our friends at Linode. Whether you're working on a personal project or managing your enterprise's infrastructure, Linode has the pricing, support, and scale you need to take your project to the next level. Get started on Linode today by going to linode.com slash view. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Enjoy the View. I am Elizabeth Fine, and today on our panel, we have Ari Clark. Hello. Ben Hong. Hello. And our special guest for this episode is Marina Mosti. Marina, would you like to introduce yourself? Hey, how are you doing? Absolutely. My name is Marina. I am a front-end slash full-stack developer. I've had the pleasure of working with code for the last 14 years, and I think I considered myself at this point sort of like... I tried to like call myself an educator <laughs> because I just like, <laughs> it has become a really important part of my life, you know, to write about you and the articles, the book and everything that we're going to be talking about. And yeah, that's, I mean, I'm a bass player. I enjoy music a lot. I do things. Oh, I do that's some cool. things. I didn't know that. My husband plays yeah, Yeah. <laughs> So Marina, I know that you are, like you said, you're an educator and you write a lot about Vue. So would you be able to tell us a little bit about how you started using Vue? Absolutely. How I started using Vue. So when I first got into coding, I started out actually with PHP. This was a long, long time ago. (laughs) And eventually, yes, very long time ago. And eventually I progressed through a bunch of different PHP frameworks which eventually led me to Laravel. Laravel actually was like started to to push to actually bundle uh, a way to use Vue inside of of the framework. It didn't have a CLI. It wasn't like this like all, all the fancy tools that we're using nowadays to make like this whole SPA situation with with frontend. But it did give you a very nice way to bundle up to use Vue and to inject your server side rendered pages into the wrapper and then like start mm-hmm. the view magic right through that. So because it was already like a part of this framework, it's like, hey, this 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 view thing sounds interesting. I was at this point where I think most of like the old school and I don't even know if it's like old school if it's like 10 years ago, but I feel like some developers like myself just found themselves in this point where you was just like clinging on to jQuery because that's what you know <laughs> and you don't want to let go. And uh, it just, I came to a point where I was like, okay, I need to learn a framework. I got, I got to admit that the first framework that I was trying to get into was Angular, but it was very confusing for me to like get a whole of like this Angular 1, Angular 2 situation going on there. <laughs> so I just figured, you know what, maybe I'll come back to this. <laughs> so I just like boiled down to like React and Vue. I did like React, but again, as a jQuery developer, I, I very much not new any JavaScript. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. React seemed a little daunting at that time for me. And I started out working new because I figured, okay, well, I have, I already have the tools <laughs> needed to like, at least to start to understand what this framework is about. And then later on, I came back to like both Angular and React, just like to figure out what my favorite flavor in the ice cream world was, but I definitely stuck with Vue and I have not regretted that decision. So yeah, that's that's great. I like that you describe JavaScript frameworks as ice cream. I've never thought about it that way, but I guess you would be pistachio ice cream. 
Because it's Ooh, I like that. Green. Yes. I would say avocado, but I'm really like a brand. <laughs> I don't know. I really like green tea ice cream, so I'm going to go with green tea ice cream. Ooh, matcha. Oh, yeah. <laughs> matcha. It's matcha ice cream for sure. Yeah. So I'm interested in how you sort of transitioned into education within view because I know you wrote a like a series of I think it was called Hands On with View and you've also written your book Building Forms with Vue.js. So yeah, I'm curious about what made you start to want to become an educator and put out those resources into the ecosystem. It's actually, it's been a while. It's, I started out uh, a little bit more than a year ago, I would say around September or October of I think 2018. It was the first, my first approach into education was actually that I wanted to mentor other women into interview and in JavaScript. I've had the, the fortune of never having worked in a, in a company or environment in which women in tech had this like misogyny problem or like a very bro culture. Like I've had my, my, my couple of fights with people in, in, in companies that I worked on before, but nothing major. And I, I like, like you hear some really sad, very sad stories from, mm. from other women in tech. Right. And I figured I got a lot of help from, from different women uh, in, in the view community growing up and finding better opportunities. And I, and I wanted to do something to like, repay this to other women, right? So I started my look for some women to, to mentor in the view Vixens community at the time. And one of the things that I started building on to, to, for, for this goal were some very small, like five minutes, 10 minute workshops and exercises for very like focused topics in view. Like I, I really don't remember. I think there was something with like understanding the principles of UX and just like very oriented goals, right? Because there were, there were small workshops. And at some point, someone, I really don't remember who it was. I wish I did because that just like kind of started everything approached me and say like, hey, are you, are you, you're, these things that you're writing, they're, they're very nice to read. They're very easy to follow. You should try writing an article. And at this point, I just, I felt like it wasn't a point in my life where I had a lot of time in my hands. And I figured, hey, you know what? It might be a good idea to try to write something because I always like went into depth to and other like article sharing sites. And I was reading all this like amazing articles by other people in the community and just like JavaScript, React, everything. And I just, I, I just like had this admiration for these people that could share the knowledge and, and were just like putting out there. So I took it as a personal challenge and I figured, hey, let's start small. Let's write like a whole introduction series to view. And I kind of like regretted it, but not later on <laughs> because it was definitely a big, big bite to take for, for our first series of articles. But I'm sort of lying. I did have an article before that that covered Date FNS, the library. That Ooh, was like I just my. Used that today. <laughs> oh, amazing. I love Date FNS. So good library. It's such a good library. So that was my first first article, and because I got in the hang of like, hey, okay, for me, this process of writing is just like if I was speaking to someone and I just like basically dump it on a on a page. It's like, okay, well, I'm going to go interview and I'm going to try to make this uh, series of articles, which was complicated <laughs> not uh on the part of like writing it but just like into how do i explain this 
when the audience that I'm trying to get to is people that have never ever used Vue before or that are start, starting to get into programming. And that is where I started realizing that there were a lot of missing resources that explained tech in a non-tech world, right? So all these like amazing people that I've had the uh, privilege of working on that have just like gotten out of, of coding camps or that are just getting into, into tech and someone came and, and said to them, hey, you know what, there's this like really beginner-friendly framework that you can start using, which is Vue, but we have all these amazing resources like the documentation, but they're not intended for beginners. They use technical language. They use an approach that assumes that you've at least had some hands-off experience with coding, right? So I did this, this series of articles and that just like sort of blew up because afterwards I started getting like these messages on Twitter from random people saying like, hey, I really appreciated your articles. It was uh, great reading them. It was like super clear. Thank you for this, which made me feel amazing and just wanting to write more. But also I had the fortune of some people and companies that started like engaging with me and saying like, hey, we really liked this work that you're doing in Dev2 and we would like for you to write for us for our blog. One of those companies that I had the pleasure of starting to work with was actually Progress. And that was just like my, the, the moment in which this actually just not only was like my hobby in, in which I, I was enjoying what I was doing, I was writing, I was sharing the, all this view things, right? This, this framework that I'm passionate about, but there's also this company that is paying me to do it, which I thought was like amazing, right? Because I mean, there's bills to be paid, you know, fun to be had and you need money for that, sadly. <laughs> so I started writing for Progress and soon enough, the truth is that at some point I work for a company called VoiceThread. We do some, we do, oof, I, I don't want to get into like a whole, lot, a whole lot of detail, but we create an education oriented tool that allows teachers and users to engage in a multimedia context in a timeline. It's very hard to explain with words. Like if you go to the website and click around the videos, I think it's just a lot clearer. But I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life at this point uh, due to some personal reasons. And I've lived in Mexico City. I'm Mexican. I've lived there for 33 years. I thought that there was a, a good time to make a change of pace for myself. So I was kind of like looking to see if I was going to move to the US and maybe come over to Europe. And there was an opportunity for me to get like an O-1 visa in the United States. And someone mentioned to me like, hey, you know, if you have published a book, that gets you a lot of really like cool people points for your visa. <laughs> and I was like, sure, why not? I mean, that's like a really long article, right? <laughs> and and this is the, <laughs> yes, this was the, the beginning of all the mistakes. <laughs> because oh, <hard>. right. <laughs> right. Writing a book is not like writing a very long article, as I later found out. <laughs> but, but, you know, that's just the way I lied to myself to get this done. And I just started, I figured like, hey, uh, what should I write about? And I was trying to do a bunch of research into forms, just basically because of personal annoyance with having to use like websites and not being able to submit a form and having to hack it. And I was like, okay, I think there's a niche here of like people that are upset because like mm -hmm. there's not good forms out there, right? 
And I figured, okay, that's, this is a very interesting topic. So I, I, I did some research. I did not find any like form oriented books for view. And I was like, okay, well, I like this. Let's do it. That is how the book was born. <laughs> and moving on from that, I just like kept writing articles. And recently I became part of like the Pew Mastery team and I'm, I'm writing blog articles for them as well, which I'm really excited about. I just wrote my first article working on some really cool things that should be published soon, I hope. But I don't think I'd liberty to discuss them just yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm very excited to see what they are. <laughs> <laughs> so I will say I loved your book on forms. You are absolutely a very clear writer and a very engaging writer. And I liked all the little funny parts you threw in. Like, I think there was one point where you said it was something like, when you don't know how to do something, you should just look at it and break it down into little pieces. But please don't try this in real life. Yeah. So, and also I definitely learned a lot from your book. I don't want to summarize it. So I, I mean, if you would like to summarize it, we could start there oh and then kind of discuss the topics. <laughs> Sure. Right. So what is this book about? It's about forms. Yay. <laughs> I was trying to make the book sort of like a journey, right? And I could not not start from the very beginnings of how to set up a UCLI project in your computer, right? Because this is the thing that I was talking about earlier. I cannot make the assumption that the reader will have this background knowledge, right? Because if you have it, you can skip it. Or you can like read through it really quick and have like a refresher. But if you don't and you open this book and you don't know how to set up your, your project or one of the simple quote unquote things that is like, how do I create a reusable form component? Then you're going to be missing out in the rest of the book because I have to build up on these concepts, right? So the book just sort of takes you through, like, like I said, setting up your, your project taking the form into what is its simplest, simplest form? Like, how, is, how does a form work? Where, what are the inputs? How do you bind into a form's input event? Most people, most people, and I was part of this misconception, but most people will catch the click event on the submit button to do all the things that you need to do, right? To do your, your form processing, your validation and everything. But the truth is that if you do that, you are going to have a problem with some screen readers, which have the ability to submit the form directly because they're going to try to submit your form through the form tag, not through your submit button. And then your form, your form is going to misbehave and it's just going to like do its like natural thing and post all the data on the, on the get array to your own web page. And that is in the best case scenario that you have a form tag. Because let's be honest, I've done it too. I've made forms that are not forms. They're a bunch of inputs, random, haphazardly thrown into a div with a button that is not even a submit button and just a bunch of JavaScript magic that makes it work. But you know, I've never done that. <laughs> what is that? For, for a Noob. minute, I did not catch the, the sarcasm. I was like, wow, I'm impressed. Nope, definitely <laughs> done that. Definitely done that. Yeah. Which, you know, it's great unless you are, you need accessibility devices and then you're kind of like left behind. So let's not do that. Let's use form tags. So it takes you into like this basic, basic or quote unquote basic notions that you have to know 
And that sometimes you kind of glaze over because no one takes the time to actually put them in words. Then you go into like, how do I make a component? How, how, what is, what is like the simpler approach to making my inputs, my selects into components? How does V model work? Some people that I've met just like say like, yeah, and, and this V model is like this magical thing, right? It just works. But <laughs> when you ask them to separate it into input and binding, then it sort of like breaks apart because like, it's like, but but how? What, like what? What is it? Why do I need to, to know this? So I, I take the time to go into like how does VMODEL work into a custom component? Then we touch up on like V masking. I'm sorry, V mask library. So mm-hmm. masking of, of of inputs, which I think is one of the easiest things to put into your form that is going to just increment your user experience tenfold. It is so easy to do, and the payback is. What what is the phrase? The the juice is worth the squeeze, <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> I don't think I've ever heard that, <laughs> but I love it. I like it. Yeah, I like it. So definitely worth your time. It's super easy to implement. Vmask is an amazing library. Sorry, yeah. No, it's good. I, I do have a question though. So for those who aren't as familiar with masking in forms, like what does it mean to mask your input? Amazing. Okay, so you know where you're using services like beautiful, beautiful services like Stripe and you're typing in your credit card number and it sort of like separates it into like four dash four dash four dash four slots for mm-hmm. the numeric input or you're typing on your month and a, an expiration date and it just like puts it really neatly for you and it's super obvious that you're typing you're not making mistakes because you don't have 16 digits just like thrown in there that mm-hmm. is great user experience and that is input masking so what uh. it means is that you're going to have this input, your user, as they type, they're, they're going to see their input formatted into a certain way that makes it easier for them, not only to understand what type of form they're feeling, mm-hmm. but what you're expecting out of them. Because if I'm writing, for example, a phone number, and it, this is uh, mm-hmm. like a US phone number, and I'm typing in the first few characters, and I, and I see that they're being put into a parentheses, then I'm like, oh, okay, they're expecting a, a an area code out of me. Mm-hmm. So it is very, it's a very nice way to communicate with a user, and it also serves as a quote-unquote validation method because it pre-validates your input with the mask. This does not mean, of course, that you should not afterwards validate the information, uh, like you always should validate. And that takes me to the chapter five, <laughs> which is <laughs> how do I validate my form? And I chose to go with Validate. Uh, believe it or not, I was not influenced by my being part of the Validate team at this point because you when don't I don't say, uh, <laughs> listen, <laughs> listen, I had I taught dink. I taught. Hey, listen, okay, confession time. <laughs> I taught a a workshop on U Toronto for for forms actually. And I did make like a parenthesis slide saying like, you know what? I'm washing my hands. I'm part of the Bulletate team. Natalia Tepluhina was there with me. She's also part of the Bulletate team. <laughs> and we're using Bulletate because it's good. And I, then I explained like, what, what are the reasons behind using Bulletate and, and, and not Bulletate, which I just have to clear up right now in this podcast. I think Bulletate is an amazing library when you're trying to do validation that is template-based. It just excels at it. It's so good at template-based validation. But when you are trying to control 
validation through bindings, through vModel, or that your validation methods need to be put into something like Vuex, for example, into a, an external state or dynamic forms, hint, 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 this is why I picked it for this book, then validate <laughs> the better tool for the job. So I, I go into- Wait, hold uh, one second. If anyone yeah. is curious about a really great breakdown comparing Vulidate with vValidate, Maria Lombardo's talk at Connect Tech this last yeah. year was great. We will include a link to that in the show notes. And spoiler alert, she thinks Vulidate's better too. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Well, 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 I did clarify. I don't think it's better. <laughs> well, she definitely did. <laughs> I just think they're both really great at what they do. Was, I'm just going to leave it at that. I'm going to go with a politically correct answer. So, That's very diplomatic. Just, I appreciate just that. Just use whatever's good for your project, right? Then I talk about Vuex. How do you move your forms stage to Vuex? And even more complicated is how do you validate a Vuex stage? And this is where it starts getting like into, I would say, the quote-unquote advanced part of the book because Vulidate in itself is could can get complex because of how the the library has a dirty state, a touch method. It is not concepts that are like immediately obvious sometimes. And when you're working with a Vuex and a global state, then it just starts getting really crazy because. And I go back to the first part of my explanation of, of vModel. If you do not understand why, how vModel deconstructs, then you get to this point in the book and you're like, whoa, what is this? What is happening, right? So this is why I have to like build up from the very basics. And finally, chapter seven, you get to the good stuff. How do I create a schema-driven form? That is a form that is created completely dynamically by reading through commonly a JSON file, because again, I cannot assume that everyone knows what a schema is, right? So I kind of go like, go like okay, what, what is a schema? What, where, why would you use it? What are the circumstances into, in how you might encounter the necessity to build a schema-driven form in your job or in, your, in, in this application that you're building? And, and not only how do you create this form based on a static JSON file, but how, what, what's going to happen? What are the differences that you're going to encounter if you're pulling it out of an API? What happens when you're, when you're working with a backend team that suddenly changes this API and then, and then the, the schema comes to you in a different way? Are you going to modify your entire front end every time the backend changes? Or are you going to have some sort of like filter in the middle, some, some library, some script that parses this? So then we get into details of how like you can have a renderer component that's sort of like translates your backend into your front end. I think it's a very interesting topic. Just forms in itself, I've, I've had a few people say like, oh, but forms are so simple. And they should be. <laughs> we <laughs> they wish. They should be. I, I feel yeah, forms like, should oh, be simple. Man. Yeah. I never think sometimes... of forms as being simple. Yeah. Whoever <laughs> said that, good for them. <laughs> yeah, good for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you would be surprised. But, you know, I back up just before my workshop in Toronto, I actually made a poll in Twitter, just asking developers like, okay, like hands up, who here is that developer and has had to hack a form in order to submit it? Just like in, in, a, in a major website. Oh, I remember that. The results oh, yeah. were appalling, appalling. Nope. Because 
you never hear from all the other poor users that have no idea that can barely turn on their computer, let alone hack a form and go through your console logs and your debugging statements that you forgot to remove your reproductions code and, 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 and figuring out what's, <laughs> what went wrong. So this is what sort of like the book encompasses. So I will say, I actually bought your book because I needed it. <laughs> I was not disappointed. So I have this use case where, I mean, it was basically exactly what you were just describing, where I can't guarantee that the API will be consistent. In fact, it's almost guaranteed that additional fields will be added going forward. So I needed a way to dynamically generate this. And then like on top of that, I also needed a way to dynamically validate it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you don't actually cover that specific case in your book. However, I was able to piece together the patterns and actually accomplish that with the code that you present in chapter seven. I just extended it with dynamic validation. So I found your book incredibly valuable, (laughs) but yeah, no, like you're absolutely right. Like there's nothing more annoying than having to like completely redo your form every time the API changes, especially if you work at a Mm -hmm. startup where that might happen a lot. (laughs) Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So listen, now that you bring it up, uh, shameless plug. (laughs) I actually have an article that I hope will be published soon that will cover some ground rules about how to hook up dynamic validation into a schema built form. But also a little heads up. So Damien has, Damien Dulles in the Builder team has actually been working a little bit on the next version of Fieldate, which brings in Vue3's composition API. So it's like a complete rewrite from the ground up. He's been speaking about it in a couple of conferences. So I know that at least there's a video now for Vue Toronto, which you can like watch him talk about it a little bit. But also I have this open source library called, well, not me, sorry, the team, the team has this library called Formulate. <laughs> Some people say formulates. It, it's actually latte because of the coffee. It was an inside joke that went horribly wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but officially, formulate. And this form actually is can the open source version of this book. So you just like feed this sort of opinionated schema and it renders a form for you. And what we've been working on is a plugin type system in which you will inject date into Formulate to create this crazy, crazy schema, automatic schema-driven generated validated form just automatically out of the box for you. Magical. Wow. Yeah, just <laughs> super, super magical. It's going to be super magical. But it's still uh, in the works. Hopefully, we will get it shipped soon after a view three releases or maybe a little bit before i don't know yet i i cannot comment on that but it is definitely in the works i'm very excited about it damien has been doing a fantastic job with it so i had a question for you marina um just to circle back a bit you mentioned that writing a blog was not at all like writing a really long article could you like elaborate (laughs) on that a little bit more i think one of the most daunting but also enlightening parts of writing a book was working with a publisher. <laughs> mm. I say enlightening just not to say like really hard, complicated, and then sometimes frustrating as hell. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, 
I have I have had thankfully the the complete creative flexibility when I'm writing my articles with with progress. It's just like love what I do. Thankfully, so I don't get a lot of criticism back. I know they polish it a little bit. Mm-hmm. I probably have a lot of like grammar mistakes and spelling mistakes and just non-native English mistakes that that they like go polish through. But I never had a person sit and and look at my work and say like, okay, well, this is really nice, but we need to format it. And the whole formatting experience was for me, and and, and I'm speaking obviously of, of my own personal opinion on this, very frustrating. Why? Because I have made it on purpose, like almost like a signature of mine that my mm-hmm. articles are written in a very, well, I, don't, I don't know how to say this in English, so I'm just going to try to explain it. But like if I was speaking to you, to someone, to the reader. Conversational. Thank you. So this to my publisher looked a lot like what they thought should be printed out as a bunch of like a recipe, like a cooking recipe. Step number one, put this code in your component. Step number two, run this in your browser and check. Step number three, Mm -hmm. and I did not agree with that (laughs) (laughs) because it sort of broke the flow of the conversation. Mm -hmm. And I did not want this book to like completely break the rhythm of what I like to, to write because one of the, the most fulfilling parts for me as, as a writer and as a, a writer of technology and as someone that I have tried to make my articles mostly oriented to beginners because, I, because like I mentioned, I think that's where the, the most lacking niche is. I don't want, I don't want this to, to break that pattern because, I'm sorry, I, I, I sort of like went on the tangent there because the important thing to me is that when people have approached me with comments about my articles, they, they have always been with around the, the topic of, I like how you approach things because it's very easy to understand. It's easy to follow. It's not very tech, right? Like sometimes you have to go into the explanation. Sometimes you have to go to go deep into the code, but that does not mean that you cannot try to make it enjoyable. So that is why I sometimes try to sprinkle things like World of Warcraft and into my articles because... That is what that like programmers are people, people that like things. They listen to music, they play video games. And when you're talking to them in your in their language, in things that they enjoy, then suddenly this thing that you also enjoy that is programming becomes a whole experience. So we're coming back to your question. When when I when I had to get into the the part of like actually reviewing the book, of like making it a book and not an article. I struggled personally because of my intent to go against my own publisher, which I probably should not have. We, we found a middle ground. Eventually we found a middle ground, but there was a lot of friction. But eventually I think I'm, I'm, I'm happy with, with, the, with what came out of it. They, didn't, they did a great job in, in, in putting some order into my chaos, but they were flexible enough to like let a little bit of the crazy remain. Well, that's great. Thank you for answering that. I know that Ari, Elizabeth, and I are very grateful that your personality could shine through because it'd be a very different read otherwise. I think if they had, if it had really been that recipe format that you were mentioning. Yeah. Because, like, 
let's face it, forms aren't the most exciting thing in the world. What? You don't wake up excited every day like, oh, I'm going to build some forms. In fact, like, I, anytime I have to do work with forms, I'm like, no, no. But I have to say, I did enjoy working through your book. And I actually did. Like, I did every single thing that was in the book, which, oh, my yeah. God. <laughs> thank you for that. Thank you. Thank yeah, you, thank which you. is why I did catch a couple of typos in there, <laughs> but I told you about them, so it's okay. <laughs> Girl, there's typos. There's there's code mistakes. Like uh, I, you, I, you review, you review, you review, you review. You have other people review, and still, and, yeah, you're still gonna miss stuff. I like. Look, I'm it's so not, impressed that it was. Yeah, that there were as few <laughs> as there were. Like, yeah, I mean, if you don't shape a book with with blogs. You're not a programmer, right? Yeah. <laughs> the day that I ship something bug-free is the day I quit forever. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> I agree. So you've really focused on catering towards beginners. I think that that is such a, an underserved niche, partly because I, I at least find it really hard to put myself in those shoes again. Because, you know, at some point you have the curse of knowledge mm-hmm. and you know, like you don't remember what you didn't know at like particular stages. So are there any like techniques that you use to, to try to make sure that you're breaking things down to a level that's digestible to someone new to programming in general? Uh-huh, that's an interesting or Are you question. just like really good at that naturally and you're amazing? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, honestly, that is true. But. <laughs> uh, <laughs> thank you. I think that, and again, I, I, I really wanted to thank Progress for all the creative freedom that I've had because I think the way that I've chosen my topics has been a natural flow of how I learned Vue. So because I started with like this, like, hey, let's get into Vue series, right? Like this basic series. And then I figured like, okay, what is the next logical step once you know these things? Oh, hey, let's touch a bit into detail about, I don't know, computer properties. And oh, now that I did the computer properties, maybe I should do this other thing. And now that I did this other thing, maybe I can touch Vuex. And now that I did Vuex, hey, let's talk about managing your global state through this other thing. So it just like has had, I've had this flow where I wouldn't say that they necessarily build on each other. It's, I, I mean, you can sort of like read through my articles and, and they, they might hint at things that I've written about in the past. Some of them even like link to like my own resources or resources that I found very helpful when writing the, the, the articles. But definitely this, this flexibility that I've had about writing about what I want to write has made it simpler to create for myself this, this idea of like, I'm going to write about this because I've already written about these other things. And I always... When I, when I start writing a book, sorry, an article, I, I think to myself, my first question is, okay, I try to make the first paragraph like, okay, what is the real world problem that I'm trying to, to solve? So for example, this, this, this article that just got published for View Mastery, the first paragraph says like, hey, have you ever had this problem where you're filling out a form and then for some reason you hit the backspace uh, key and you were not in an input and then you lose everything. Right. Oh my God, this is mm-hmm. this is a um, real world problem. So now that I've established, like, hey, what are we trying to solve with this article? Then I, I ask myself, like, hey, okay, what what knowledge do I have to assume 
what topics can I not go into depth because they're going to go out of scope when I'm writing this. And then I, I try to like declare that in the beginning of the article, hey, I'm going to assume at this point that you understand, I don't know, uh, that you have the basic concepts of UX. And then if later on in the article, I have to go into local storage, and this is not the case of the article, but just as an example, then I might say, hey, I, I'm going to assume that you have worked with cookies before, for example, mm -hmm. right? And if you don't, here are some links or here are some resources that you can read to catch yourself on, because if you proceed past this point, I will assume that you know what I'm talking about, because I cannot, if not... It's a never-ending story, right? And you lose scope of what you're trying to teach. So I think always question yourself, am I assuming knowledge here? And if so, what knowledge am I assuming? And this is by no means perfect. I am sure that if I go back to my articles and I analyze them, then that I'm assuming some things or that I used a technical word somewhere. But I think for me, this, this, this thing started because one day I was having... And this was not that far behind in time. I was having a conversation with Natalia Tepluhina and she said, she said like, you should use the higher order function. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, like hold hawk. on. What, Don't you know what a like, hawk is? Like, oh, what that's even worse when someone calls it a, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, what the hell is a higher order function? And she just explained it to me. And I was like, oh, a function that reaches a function. Yeah. But I had never heard this term before in my life. And I don't think I, am, I, I, consider, I can consider myself a novice programmer anymore. I've been doing this for 14 years. <laughs> but I did not have a, I don't have a background in computer science. I actually studied how to administrate a restaurant, believe it or not. And so I don't have, I have a bunch of like gaps and holes into like terminology sometimes in computer science. Like, like what, what is a higher order function? So I try not to use a lot of this terminology, but also like I probably a culprit in my own thing that I'm trying to fix, right? It's just, you try your best, you do your best. And then eventually you just get in the flow of it and it just becomes very natural. I think you really hit on probably what I consider to be one of the biggest problems in a lot of tech articles is that they, <laughs> the use of like foo bar and baz, <laughs> like, if I'm learning a concept, I it it helps me so much more if I can relate it to to a real world problem. <laughs> like otherwise, not even I, yeah. that. <sighs> but real world words, yeah, yeah, rather than just completely made up because, words. Yeah, if no, you said like cat, there's a relationship. Dog, and mouse, it would be yeah. easier for me. Yeah, because <laughs> no, like there's a relationship between words that sort of helps you identify a relationship between concepts. <laughs> but, yeah, so, yeah. Good on you for recognizing that that's the way to go. <laughs> yeah. I was just that earlier, I was writing an article that is going to touch up a, a little bit on like the beauty reactivity system. And believe it or not, I actually found a way to explain the concept of object dot defined property with avocado sandwiches and toast. <laughs> what? <laughs> that sounds amazing. I want to see that article. Yes. <laughs> it is crazy. I hope that it is clear. I'm going to like better test it soon. I will give you a preview. So but... now we need Sarah to do like an avocado animation where like pops out the <laughs> seed and then there's a reactive chain. Yeah, it's going to be cool. But yeah, it's, it's, it's so, and it's so engaging and so fun for me to try to figure out like this crazy examples. Like I don't want to do like another counter, another to-do list. Oh my God. Like 
this 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 whole view three example with with the mouse coordinates like if i see it one more time i swear oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay that is true that is a pretty prolific example <laughs> it is but i'm sorry elizabeth you were going to say something oh well i was just going to say one of my main sticking points with forms especially dynamic forms is the styling so I just feel like, so especially if you have a design that's got full length input fields and then some half input fields that are next to each other. And so those half <laughs> yeah, input fields need to be inside a flex box or something. And then, you know, you've got select boxes thrown in or text areas thrown in. And yeah, I just, I feel like my style sheets for things like that just become absolute nightmares. And then, you know, you have to deal with it all responsive where the half width fields go full width. Mm-hmm. And I'm just, I don't know. Does, well, I don't know. It's really any... fun. You <laughs> also have to have a unit selection as part of another input. Ooh, that oh, gets real yeah. fun. Yeah. I have lived this. I don't think yeah. I did it well, but it works. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just wondering, is there any way to do that well? I mean, Marina, like with form view lattes, for example. So you're saying you can use a schema to sort of generate a dynamic form using that library. Is there, is, does that cover or help with CSS at all? Or do you have suggestions for, for dealing with CSS and dynamic forms? Maybe the answer is just don't do so, stuff like half width inputs and things like that. I have made it an ongoing joke and a point in my articles that my examples are ugly because I have zero visual intelligence and because there is no right way to do CSS, okay? True, yes, thank you. I mean, I'm guessing if you go to like someone really smart like Sarah Drasner, she could probably explain CSS to you. I, girl, I struggle. Okay, listen, I do, I do dynamic forms. It makes me feel so my good, work as I well. And I do I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm guilty, they're ugly, the CSS, we use we use Tailwind actually. I really like Tailwind as an option for for dynamic forms, just because the way that you can construct the CSS with classes makes it simple in some scenarios to control through a schema. Not that you not that I'm saying that you should inject classes into your your schema and then put them in your inputs, which could be could be a thing, right? Yeah. But once you start getting into the rabbit hole of let's have the uh, backend control the graphicness of the form, then it starts to get really ugly. And I don't have like a catch-all response for you. Mm-hmm. My my response is do what everyone does, close your eyes and click around until it works. <laughs> <laughs> Either have say- an ugly form or a really ugly <laughs> CSS file, preferably an ugly CSS file, in my opinion. But at least I'll you can say- clean up, you know, using that sort of solution, you can clean up the JavaScript and the validation and everything like that. And then you're just left mm-hmm. with the CSS file that's, you know, yeah, <laughs> probably. I'll tell you how I deal with it. I, I, like I said, like Marina, I struggle with CSS, so I'm not going to promise you that this is the best way ever, but this is a functional way that I have found. Usually based on schema, you can infer at least some things. Like for example, if if you know that it's a like a capacity input that is gonna need units selected alongside it, you can conditionally apply certain classes to it based on like if certain criteria is met. So I honestly I used a dynamic class binding to address mm-hmm. a lot of that. 
Yeah. But like I said, there's probably better ways, but you know, sometimes you do it ugly ways because it works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That sounds Actually, like a good solution. It just, if you can build that into the model of your schema, any kind of particular CSS cases, and then just dynamically bind those classes and then go into your CSS file and have a bunch of conditional classes. Yep. Yeah. I think you're touching up another very interesting subject, which is don't be afraid to create a wrapper component that is more specialized. I think is, is mm. a little bit of what you're saying, Ari. Like, okay, you have your base yeah. input and your base input for some reason needs to have like the specific look and feel. Then make an, a, a component that will match this the specific needs and, and and declare it in your in your backend or your or your schema. And to address the flexbox needs, remember that you can also make containers. And these containers can have your own render component inside them. So you're just like, your, your container receives a schema of like the nested children that are gonna be in this container. And maybe this container knows that it has to, to apply a Flexbox or it knows that if it has a property uh, of 50, then it needs to meet 50% and, 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 and create some sort of like CSS magic inside of it. So I think that's a great suggestion, Ari. Don't ever be afraid of creating a more a speciality component or a more specific component to what you need. Yeah, another thing. So <laughs> I think this is mostly just because I don't know Flexbox, but I know CSS Grid. <laughs> I will use Grid wow. for things that I probably shouldn't use it for, but it works, so I do it. But also CSS Grid allows you to position and lay out things in a very declarative way. So I would, one thing I know I have done is I have passed in a string of numbers or like 1FR, 2FR, 1FR, and then just dynamically bound that to a style in the form because I could do it declaratively based on, yeah. based on the schema. <laughs> Maybe sense. again, not I mean, the prettiest way to do it, but functional. I'm all about just making things work, okay? <laughs> You know, Ari, not all of us only have to support Chrome, okay? Yeah, sorry. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's why you can use Grid. The rest of us over here being like, that doesn't work in I. <laughs> well, yeah. you know, that's your fault for having a product that people with IE use. I'm just totally kidding. Wow. No judgment. Wow. wow yes, wow. no, I'm just really lucky that I get to only do Chrome. Oh, that would be amazing just to do grid out of the box. No, it is amazing. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> so Marina, where can people find you on the internet? I think the best way to approach me is through Twitter. My handle is at Marina Mosti. I have some articles in dev too. That, so that's like, I usually like end up cross posting there. Obviously, I like I mentioned, I have a, a, a lot of articles also on the Telerik blog. And now on the View Mastery blog. So yeah. you can find my articles Yay. all over the place, girl. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. And where can people find your book, Building Forms? Uh, yeah. So, I, to my knowledge, there's two ways of buying it. One of them is through Amazon. And I, you can also buy it directly from Pact in their portal. You can buy the PDF version if that's what you're looking for. Or the printed version through Amazon should be the easiest way. And you can only should include buy those. The, the PDF and the hard copy through Pact, just saying. 
<laughs> in a bundle. It was, it was really great. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> Thank you for clarifying that. But yeah, we'll drop back to that in the show not, notes. I hope, yes. I hope Pax's not listening. <laughs> <laughs> Oopsie. <laughs> so does anyone have any final questions for Marina before we wrap up and move on to picks? I think we're no. good. She's been yeah, amazing. This been, yes, yeah. this has been so informative. So much. Thank you, Marina. No, oh, thank you for inviting me. <laughs> okay, and so with that, it is time for us to move on to picks. Ari, would you like to go first? So continuing with my Music to Code 2 series of picks, this one is a very long song at almost 18 minutes. Planisphere by Justice is, yeah, it's incredible. So... Fun fact, I didn't know this until today when I was Googling links to throw into the show notes to find it, Spotify, Apple Music, whatever. Apparently it was originally released in three parts, which if you listen to it, that very much makes sense because it. I always knew that it very much had this feel of movements in it, you know, like same theme, but building on it in a different way. But yeah, so originally it was three separate songs, but it works as one continuous song as well. So it's sort of... <sighs> It has classical influences, 70s funk influences. At times, the synth becomes very sinister, so it feels very like heavy metal. There's like a little bit of everything in there. I can't, I can't even do it justice. But it, at 18, almost 18 minutes, it's a really good song for when you're in a flow. So I highly recommend Planisphere by Justice, and that is all I have this week. Wonderful. Okay, Ben, what are your picks for this week? Yeah, I have uh, two two picks for you all this week. My first of which is for those who are uh, into anime, I started watching My Hero Academia season four. It's, you know, I know some people are complaining about like the pacing. It's a little bit different from the first three seasons, but they really turn a corner like towards the end. It was really good like character buildup and stuff. And so really enjoying what they're doing with that. So really happy with it and highly recommend it. And the other pick I have, which I'm a little sad Chris is not here for, but... I almost <laughs> picked this just to mess with you guys. <laughs> I <I'm- laughs> So we all watched Miss Americana, actually, which is the Netflix Taylor Swift documentary. <laughs> um, but I was like, oh, God, would it be funny if I picked it? That would have been <laughs> It was really good. I, yeah. I'm not a Taylor Swift fan, but it's I, I actually enjoyed it. It's a momentous day. It is I a know, momentous day. You guys must be so proud. Oh, my gosh. Really <laughs> you know, both of you were not in our Taylor Swift club. <laughs> hold on, hold on. I, know. I, I was more so than Ari. Wow. Okay, no, ben is was closer. <laughs> I would say Ben is now in the Taylor Swift Club. Ari, are you in the Taylor Swift Club yet? Or um, I have always appreciated that she is incredibly talented and I have tremendous respect for her. It's just not something I would listen to on a daily basis. <laughs> but I have even more respect for her now. Okay. That's that's all you can ask for. <laughs> Honestly, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So for those wondering, like, you know, you don't have like Miss Americana is more than just about like, it's really about learning about Taylor Swift sort of as a person and really her journey as far as like, and that's what I think was what's most interesting about it was learning about everything she's been through as a musician from a child and how she got to where she is. So even from that, it was just super educational in that regard and just insane to learn about what it's life would be like when you like become famous and the fact that you're kind of frozen at that age because you're basically on tour and just all these things that you just really helped to humanize her and just like, not going to lie, a lot of things hit really close to home. I 
I identify with a lot of her problems. So it makes me have to wonder. Like, I need to. Yeah, but I'm not going to lie. I thought about you when she was talking about something. I was like, that's so bad. I was like, oh, gosh. <laughs> I think I have that problem too. Anyways, Miss Americana, totally worth checking out. <laughs> Thanks, Marina. Sorry, but I did. I really did. Uh, anyhow, Elizabeth, on to you. I love it. Okay. So my pick this week, I have one, is cheatsheets.dev. So it's a website and it basically has code snippets from, you know, various different languages and also Git code snippets as well. So it's pretty helpful. And we'll drop that in the show notes and you can just bookmark it, especially if you're new to Git or something like that. Or if you are a jQuery developer, for example, trying to figure out how can I do things in JavaScript that I could do in jQuery? This is kind of helpful. On a second note, I know of a website called, shoot, I don't remember the exact name, but we'll drop it in the show notes. It's called, you can do that in, you don't need jQuery for that or something. Oh, oh Ben's mm-hmm. typing it. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, uh-huh, um, exactly what you're talking so, about. So yeah, it's basically it's awesome. You type in the jQuery sort of method that you're trying to recreate and it just reactively pulls up the JavaScript version of it. So really it's pretty cool. helpful. Yeah, you yeah, don't I mean, need jQuery, I, I something like that. JQuery, I did. You might not need jQuery. You one. might not need jQuery. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And Marina. Uh, does Marina, Marina have any do you have any picks? <laughs> <laughs> I actually have uh, two books that I wanted to recommend. One of them is The Power by Naomi Alderman. Oh my God, such, such a great book. It has feminist vibe to it, so that's really amazing. And I don't want to like spoil it or something, but it is a very nice sci-fi type, I mean, not sci-fi, but it is a criticism on the contemporary world, of course, and what would happen if all of a sudden the physical prowess went to women. Amazing read, amazing Ooh, okay. read. It is not like, it's not feminist propaganda. Like, it's, just, it's just so good. Read it. I'd be okay if you will enjoy it. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> the other book that I was going to recommend is <laughs> The Jedi Path because I am such a nerd. Oh my God, this book is so good. It's like, it's actually called, like the full name is The Jedi Path, a manual for students of the force. And it is like... It's not a book book like a like a novel. It is like if you the were Bible. reading if you were reading the actual <laughs> book that they gave to like Jedi's when they were training them. Oh my god. I am I am nerding so hard over this. Like I think there's one for the Sith and for the Imperial for joining the Imperial Forces, which I of course I'm gonna read. But I'm reading this one right now and I'm enjoying it a lot. So definitely super recommended. And finally, a shameless plug if you have not heard or used formulate please check it out and obviously if you want to contribute we're always looking for people to make prs and test it out and give us comments and feedback because we want to make the library better so yay please help open source (laughs) (laughs) thank you so much marina and that is all for this week's episode thanks for listening and until next time enjoy the view this podcast is brought to you by our friends at Linode. With 11 data centers worldwide, including their newest data center in Sydney, Australia, enterprise-grade hardware, S3-compatible storage option, and their next-generation network, Linode delivers the performance you expect at a price that you don't. Get started on Linode today by going to linode.com view.